today from the global lane. Europe turns its back on its Christian roots. Europeans once evangelized Africa. Now Africans are bringing the gospel back to them. We've been so, so blessed by the arrival of these new Irish. Sex trafficking growing around the world. How one Texan is rescuing children in Nepal. Viral outbreak causes parade cancellations. COVID-19 won't keep us from sharing the truth about St. Patrick's Day. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. America owes its Christian spiritual heritage to Europe. But Europe today has largely turned its back on the faith and is returning to its pagan roots. Dale Hurd has the story from London. Martyrs Free Church in Edinburgh, part of the history of Christianity in Scotland. Today it's Frankenstein, which describes itself as both a family-friendly venue and a place for stag parties and bar top dancers. This is St. Paul's Church in Bristol, England. It's now a school for circus performers. And in Linera, Spain, the Church of Santa Barbara is now Chaos Temple, a skateboard park. But before you get angry with the owners of Frankenstein, understand that Europe today has more empty church buildings than it knows what to do with. Because Europe is, by and large, no longer Christian. These are the remnants of a lost civilization, Christian civilization. It was once at the very heart of European life and culture. Those days are long gone. Among the British, belief in the Christian God has plummeted. The, the trajectory is very clear. And something like 70-75% of British under 30s say they have no religion. Theologian Stephen Bullivant, author of Mass Exodus, says Europe's move away from Christianity is accelerating. People often ask me, especially in the Catholic Church, it's kind of, you know, what can we do to kind of bring everyone back, you know? And half serious, I, I always say, well, invest in time machine technology. The data is clear. Christianity in Europe is, is, is dying. Dr. Harvey Quiani, professor of African Christianity and theology at Liverpool Hope University, is from the Christian nation of Malawi. He says moving to what he calls Britain's pagan culture was a shock. Growing up in Africa, growing up in Malawi, um, Christianity is, is, is exploding. The median age of an African Christian is 19. Coming to Europe, these are post-Christian people. They have moved away from Christianity. I teach students who will tell me uh, I'm a third, fourth generation pagan in my family. God is still moving in Europe, but the larger culture has been lost. And although some governments might still be officially Christian, they are now openly persecuting Christians. What is hard for people in America to understand is that people in Great Britain really have no notion of what Christianity is. Attorney Andrea Williams of Christian Concern in London spends much of her time defending clients like Christian doctor David Makareth, who, because of his Christian beliefs, refused to call a transgender man a woman and was fired. In essence, I'm now being compelled to say things which I cannot say. But when I'm told to call a man a woman, or call a woman a man, they're pushing my conscience where it cannot go because I could not serve my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and do that. It's the same story for Christians across Europe. In Finland, a Christian member of parliament faces possible prison time for simply tweeting Bible verses that condemn homosexuality. And Bolivant warns it will probably get worse. 
as Europe returns to its pagan roots. At the end of that road, culturally, I think, is, is, is probably 80, 90 percent no religion. And so to convince them to, to pay attention to Christianity again is, is a challenge. Only a radical revival can, can change that. But if we don't, then it's going to get darker yet. There is hope for Europe, and it could be in something missions leaders call the blessed reflex. It was the prayer of early missionaries like William Carey and David Livingston that one day the gospel would return from the mission fields of Africa and Asia to re-evangelize Europe. And there are signs the blessed reflex has already begun. Dale Hurd joins us from the newsroom with more. Dale, Great Britain sent missionaries around the world, and its Christian influence was felt in America, starting with the Pilgrims, and then our founding fathers and the U.S. Constitution. But how did this turn away? How did that happen? Well, we could put people to sleep by going back to the Enlightenment, and I won't do, I mean, I'll just touch on that. Don't, don't worry, folks. Um, but yeah, that's, it starts with the Enlightenment. It starts with science and how it has made inroads into our faith and turned people away from faith. And I had an interesting discussion with an African professor who pointed out they don't have this issue in Africa. Science is not threatening faith. They have a strong view of faith. They, they had a strong view of spirituality before Christianity came. And when Christianity came and they saw real spiritual power, they respected it. The legacy of the Enlightenment has been skepticism, eating away, eating away at the whole idea of faith. Uh, not to mention multiculturalism, secularism, and so right. forth. And all of these systems. So, Dale, what's the impact then on British society other than empty churches? We both saw recently the Christian Concern report that nearly one quarter of all pregnancies now in the UK end in abortion. Yeah, well, and, and uh, I'll tell you an example, and it's not even new. This is years ago. They discovered Prozac in the water table in the United Kingdom. And this is the way they try to meet people's spiritual needs now in many of these societies, including our own. They not only, you know, are mocking Christian faith, they're telling people, you're stupid if you turn to it. And we all have these God-shaped voids inside of us, and we yearn for a relationship with God, and then the dominant media, the elites say, don't do that or you're an idiot. And then they single out Christians for persecution. Right, which um, I try to point out that the irony is that these officially Christian nations in Europe, they may not have a state church, but they have a favored church, are singling out Christians for persecution. They protect Muslims by and large. They don't really care or... or get involved with Sikhs or Hindus, but Christians, they view Christianity as, as something harmful to other people that needs to be regulated and possibly, you know, folks put in jail. And what about elsewhere in Europe, Dale? How about the effect of Muslim immigration in Europe? Well, some of these forces, these adverse forces on Europeans can actually turn them toward the church. But if we look at France, for instance, which has some of the lowest church attendance in Europe, it hasn't had that much effect because, again, Europe is very wealthy. Europe, rationalism has, has taken over Christian faith in Europe. Uh, it's eroded folks' uh, belief in, in spirituality, at least Christian spirituality. And so... No matter what folks say about, you know, great things happening with the church in Europe, and they are, overall, Christian civilization in Europe is shrinking. Okay, stay right where you are, Dale. Up next, 
The Blessed Reflex, a new faith wave moving across England and Ireland. For centuries, Europe was the center of Christian civilization. Sadly, that's no longer the case. Most Europeans have left the faith, but there are signs that God is bringing the harvest back to re-evangelize Europe. Dale Hurd brings us that story from Dublin and London. This is not the dark continent any longer. This is the new dark continent. A majority of African nations today are Christian. A majority of Europeans today say they're either atheist or have no religion. But God is using believers from the mission fields of Africa, Asia, and Eastern Europe, just as early missionaries had prayed for. In the early 1800s, when European missionaries were going to Africa, Asia, they spoke of a hopeful day in the future. Dr. Harvey Quiani, professor of African Christianity and theology at Liverpool Hope University in England, grew up in a Malawi village first evangelized by British missionary David Livingston. He says what early missionaries had prayed for is something called the blessed reflex. That there's going to be a, a reflex in the future when Christians from Africa, from Asia, would come back to strengthen British or European Christianity. And today, dynamic Bible-believing immigrant churches can be found in virtually every European capital. After years of decline, church attendance in London is finally growing again. But it's not growing because of traditional churches. It's growing primarily because of African churches. In London, on any given Sunday, over 60% of people who attend church are black Africans going to African Pentecostal churches. Just 14% of London's population, they now account for over half of the city's church attendance. After Ireland turned away from the Catholic Church to secularism, there is now fresh fire, thanks to Christian immigrants known as the New Irish. The Irish came to Africa many years ago and did so much. They didn't just bring a religion, they brought uh, better life schools, hospitals. All of that. Pastor Tunde Oke oversees the Nigerian-based Redeemed Christian Church of God in Ireland, which now has more than 100 churches. They brought the sea to Africa, and the Africans are coming back here. And for us to come back to Ireland and see Ireland in the state that it's in, it um, encourages us to do a whole lot more. The harvest has also returned from Eastern Europe. The two largest churches in Ireland today are both Romanian Pentecostal, Batania Church outside of Dublin is building a new $5.5 million facility on faith. When I talked to the pastors at the construction site, they admitted this has all been a wonderful surprise. I think nobody came here as a missionary, you're right. But God had a plan for the Romanians who came to Ireland to work. Our kids, our generation has the potential, and this is our main purpose as a church, to give and prepare and equip and empower and send this young generation outside of the church. God's plan, like a big picture, we can see only the small puzzle piece, but it's God's plan and God's way. So even now we make history, but we don't know that we make history. Pastor Sean Malarkey of St. Mark's in Dublin says there are now church plants all over Ireland because of the immigrants. There are churches being planted in little rural towns that could never have been reached if it wasn't for the fact that God has brought in these people. We've been so, so blessed by the arrival of these new Irish. 
Dale, we know open borders and immigration were major factors in the British Brexit, why they left the European Union, but it looks like the Brits are reaping some spiritual dividends here from African immigrants. Yeah, which actually, when you look at the Nigerians in the United Kingdom and in Ireland, um, well, especially the United Kingdom, they go back quite a ways, uh, as early as the 1960s, and they are a force, uh, certainly in Britain, uh, uh, a force for good, for Christianity, and many of them are going into politics. I know that most people immigrate because they want a better life, but it seems that some of the Africans you met uh, actually feel called to mission work in England and Europe. What are they telling you? They didn't move to Europe as missionaries. They moved for a better life, and they realized they had moved to a pagan society, and they brought their Christianity with them. And, of course, the next step is you become a missionary in a pagan land. It sounds ridiculous in the United Kingdom because there are churches everywhere. There, you know, there are signs of Christianity everywhere. And, you know, you can debate the nation's knowledge of Christianity. Some say it's very low and some say it's pretty good. But the fact is, what is society doing? It's mocking the faith. It's telling people they shouldn't be Christians and it's persecuting Christians. Thanks so much for your excellent reporting that you're unlikely to see anywhere else. And as you heard moments ago, many Europeans are rejecting Christianity and returning to the pagan beliefs of their ancestors. In the 5th century, Ireland was a completely pagan country. A young bishop named Patrick left his home in Britain. He sailed to Ireland to bring the Christian faith to the Emerald Isle. Today, we know him as St. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland. CBN Films tells his amazing story and a new docudrama coming to theaters just in time for St. Patrick's Day. Log on to IamPatrick.com to find a cinema near you and to buy tickets for this film. You won't want to miss it. The best way to learn about, honor, and celebrate Patrick this St. Patty's Day. Good overcomes evil. That's the title of Pastor Troy Brewer's latest book, and he's demonstrating that every day through his international ministries. He's rescuing children around the world. Today, he has more than 30 orphanages. Each year in Nepal and India alone, more than 300,000 girls are trafficked for sex. I recently talked with the Texas pastor who's determined to do what he can to stop it. 300,000 just in Nepal and India alone yes. annually, at least 300,000, yes. are sold into sexual slavery. Yes. And you're doing something about it. You, know, you were mentioning this number, this horrendous number of 300,000. You know, there's, there's, it's not like there are billions and billions of people in Nepal. They are literally depleting their nation of their girls. It's, it's unbelievable. So the kind of work that we're doing there is we actually have border teams that are stationed at all the border crossings there. And we are literally profiling people as they're coming across, literally profiling them and going, why is that guy with that young girl? Let's talk to him. It's a very, you have to be very confrontational. You have to get in their grill and say, so tell me what's going on here. And if they say, well, none of your business, we're doing this or whatever, we blow the whistle. Literally, the police come. We have a very good rapport with, uh, with the police in, in Nepal. They come. They separate the two. We talk to the girl to find out what's going on. And then we begin, if she is indeed being sold into slavery, now we're going to have to begin the process of, is it a situation where we can return her back? Number one, if she's a child, many times these little bitty kids, they say, what's your mama's name? They say, mama. Right, and so they don't know. You know, and then there is no infrastructure there to actually be able to find their parents. So now we have the tremendous responsibility of taking care of them for as long as it takes. Then we also have the responsibility of prosecuting the trafficker. 
And we have teams, we actually have legal teams, and their job is to actually prosecute the trafficker and put them in jail. And a lot of these traffickers, I understand, in Nepal just go into villages, grab the kids, exactly right. and, and the parents can't do anything about it. As a matter of fact, nobody can do anything about it because in the nation of Nepal, you cannot get a prosecuting attorney unless you pay for them. So the poor people are defenseless, and they know that. People will literally come into the villages and say, I'll take that one, that one, that one, and there's nothing you can do about it, and they leave with them. That's correct. But you're putting a stop to that. Yeah, we are. As much as you can. It's up to us to do this, and it's up to us to answer this kind of evil with the goodness of God. And part of the goodness of God is literally being stable in the midst of this instability, actually being in the mess when you do not have to be there. But then the long-term obligation of building the safe houses and then building the homes for these kids to live in, providing the meals, providing the education, it's, it's what redemption actually looks like. Well, I know often you have said redeemed people redeem people. That's correct. Now, it must, though, get frustrating sometimes because you see such a great need, and but I, I understand from my own experience that you can only help those that God puts in front of you. So do you ever get discouraged? Well, there's, there's two parts of that. Um, I have fought discouragement through the years because I see things that, oh my gosh, I need to get involved in that. But what's real is I, I just say yes to everything until I have to say no. And then if I have to say no, I have to say no. Uh, my wife and I, we mortgaged our home seven times to pay for this. Before our ministry started to grow and before we had ministry partners, it was literally just she and I on our own doing this for years and years and years. And we had to mortgage our home over and over and over again. And I know how tough that is. I also know this, we can do a lot more than we think we can. Everybody's like, I can only do so much. Oh, listen, you can do so much more than that. And, and the Lord knows our limits. And it's really goes in nicely to the next part that I'd like to discuss is your book. You know, honestly, I'm involved in lots and lots of different things. And, I'm, and I finally just said, you know, a big part of my life theme, a part of the message that the Lord has trusted me with is that good does overcome evil. Evil does have to be confronted and it doesn't take a lot of light to run off darkness. It takes a little bit of goodness to overcome evil. We make such a big deal out of evil when in fact evil is just, my, my pastor, Pastor Jim Maxwell, he always says this, why should I be defeated by, by an old defeated devil? And I'm like, you know what, that is something really good to say. And so the goodness of God is what God looks like. Whenever Moses said, Lord, show me your glory, he said, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. Right? That's what he said. So if you want to know what God looks like, he looks like goodness. I don't think that the problem in America is that there's just not enough Christians or enough churches. There might not just be enough goodness within the body of Christ that we need to be demonstrating the goodness of God. So Good Overcomes Evil, your newest book. I don't know when you have time to write a book <laughs> with everything you're doing around the world, but it's a pleasure uh, to have you here today and talking with Thank us. You so Thank much, you so much, my much. friend. Thank you. Fears over the COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak have caused the cancellation of St. Patrick's Day parades throughout Ireland and in Boston, Massachusetts. But folks in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, didn't let the virus outbreak prevent them from holding their 38th annual parade last weekend. Elsewhere, despite the COVID-19 viral threat, people will gather together this March 17th, dress in green, eat green bagels, and drink green beer. In the Windy City, they'll dye the Chicago River green all to celebrate the patron saint of Ireland. But the day is really about more than all this revelry. Yes, it's a time to celebrate and remember St. Patrick, but also a time to honor God 
and the call he has on each of our lives. Patrick's ministry is an example to us all. He was enslaved and suffered for his unwavering faith in Christ. Although he was shackled physically, Patrick was determined to tell the pagans of Ireland that they could be freed from spiritual enslavement. He obediently shared the good news. Take a look at this trailer for the new CBN film, I Am Patrick. Christ the Lord told me to come here to be with these people for the rest of my life. The preconception that we've got about St. Patrick is completely wrong. It is slavery for life. Patrick. <laughs> People thought that his efforts to Christianize Ireland were doomed to failure. Take him. It's time to go. I'm not finished. I don't know about you, but I'm going to celebrate Patrick this year by seeing the I Am Patrick film. Let's remember his example this St. Patrick's Day. We owe him a debt of gratitude. Patrick was unique. And yes, we aren't called to be him, but Christians are expected to share the good news with others. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus gave his followers the Great Commission, saying, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So like St. Patrick, go and share the good news with others. And remember that Jesus promised to be with you always. May we always be with him. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.